Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body here at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew, and joined with me again is Ryan Kelly, our pastor for preaching, and Scott Minema, the minister of counseling and community here at Desert Springs Church. And we have a little bit of a different episode for you this week. We just wrapped up as a church an 11-week series through the Psalms, and Ryan is now entering a yearly sabbatical, and he's going to be doing a writing sabbatical. So I thought we'd have Ryan come on and talk about uh, this sabbatical, what he's working on, and why he does uh, these things yearly. And Scott is just such a huge fan of the topic that we're going to talk about. So Scott's here to help me interact with Ryan and discuss, uh, discuss this topic. So to get us started, Ryan, why don't you start by telling us why you take a yearly sabbatical, what, what are these for, and, and what do they usually look like for you? Yeah, well, I don't take them. I'm given them very generously and graciously by the elders. And it really goes back to the days of my uh, doctoral studies when they would give me uh, a month off in the summer to, um, to focus on my, uh, the writing of my dissertation. Um, and as that came to an end, um, they graciously uh, allowed that to continue for other future writing projects. So since then, I've been able to write uh, some things on Philippians and First and Second Samuel and a couple other things. Um, and really what it is, is uh, it's, it's not a break. I mean, sabbatical sounds like Sabbath or time off. And, uh, and a lot of churches have those for pastors, and it's certainly a good thing. For me, mine's a working sabbatical. Uh, I don't preach. I, I don't have office time. I may or may not be um, in elders' meetings, um, but it's a time for me to just give myself over to a, a writing project. No, that's excellent, um, and we're glad that you do because you need that break. Uh, we all need a break uh, from whatever rhythms uh, we're used to being in, and and you need that break from weekly preaching. Uh, the toll that weekly preaching takes uh, is uh, is is it's a heavy burden, and uh, we're glad that that you take these and are given these and use these sabbaticals. I know that um, you benefit from them. Your family does. And, and so do we, and the church at large, which is what you're, what you're doing with these writing projects, is to try to bless uh, the capital C Church, anyone who would interact with your writings. So this time around, you're going to be doing uh, some writing on John Owen. So why don't you set up and tell us a little bit about this project? Yeah, so my dissertation was on John Owen. Um, this isn't uh, a publication uh, of that, though that may come someday in the future. This is a, a republication of Owen's works. So there's a collection of volumes um, which you know, house John Owen's works, which are well over 100 works total, uh, some smaller, some larger. But anyway, uh, you get them these days in a 23-volume set. That set is still in print with Banner of Truth. Um, but the edition goes back to 1850, a guy named Gould, G-O-O-L-D, was the editor for the, uh, the current, uh, the in-print edition of his works. Well, Crossway has decided to uh, republish a new critical edition, um, and so they have assembled about 10 different editors to be in charge of different parts of the Owen corpus for a new uh, Complete Works of John Owen, it'll be titled. So before we talk about the particular 
piece of that writing that you're going to be addressing. I would imagine many of our listeners are going, John who? Can you tell us a little bit about John Owen? Yeah, John Owen uh, isn't a familiar household name to many, but um, he certainly was a big deal in history. Uh, He was called by some the the Prince of Puritans um, or the Calvin of England. Um, There are some who would think that he's um, the greatest theologian in the English Mm. language, Mm. um, even including Jonathan Edwards uh, alongside him. So, you know, J.I. Packer, in his study of the Puritans, he he talks about how the Puritans are sort of redwoods uh, in the skyline of church history, and uh, he speaks of John Owen as the the biggest of the redwoods. So he's a big deal. Um, he not only wrote a lot, but a lot of really important works that have stood the test of time. So if you ask, you know, what is one of the most important books on the atonement ever written? We have to say it's Owen who wrote that. Um, you know, what's a masterpiece on the perseverance of the saints? Well, John Owen spent 550 pages on that. Mm-hmm. Um, or his book on justification, or his um, his many different works on ecclesiology. He was often called the, um, the patriarch in atlas of congregationalism. Mm-hmm. So he's a big deal in church history and still relevant today. Proof of that is that his works are still uh, in print today and uh, still worthy of people's time and attention to put a a new edition of his works into print going forward. Well, I'm looking forward to talking more about John Owen and some of his works with you. But would you mind taking a few minutes and just tell us a little bit about the particular part of Owen's works that have been assigned to you in this rewrite? Yeah, so I'm, I'm editing the works related to the church or ecclesiology. I think uh, 17 volumes or works in all is what I'm in charge of. Uh, And what that means being in charge of it is first getting back to what was uh, a first edition, essentially, trying to find out exactly what he wrote. Over the years, uh, we we get further and further away from first edition. And um, and just like with biblical studies, we want to get back to what you know, was actually there, even if then Crossway decides to add this or add that um, to make it more usable for people of, of our time. So getting back to, to what was um, a sort of a first edition, knowing what was um, really there and what was really from Owen's pen. Uh, another thing is adding headings and subheadings. So the way Owen wrote was an elaborate outlining system. Uh, it's pretty hard for us to follow, most of us. Yeah. And, uh, and we write books these days with just headings and subheadings throughout a chapter. So we'll add those. We'll add footnotes wherever we need to clarify something, uh, especially an archaic word. We'll define that in a footnote. Um, and then each editor will have to write a historical introduction to each of the works that they're responsible for. And that'll be the, probably the most significant thing that I have to do with these. So how much work is in... Tailed. Can you talk a little bit about, um, are we talking 50 pages of review, or are you talking about 500 pages of review? Can you just give us some idea of the scope and, and measure of the, the work that you're going to be working on this summer? Yeah, so it would be uh, volumes 13 and 14 in the current edition of John Owen's works that I'm responsible for. Those are probably five to 600 pages each. Wow. So that's the material I'm working on. Yikes! <laughs> this summer. 
<laughs> well, goodness. Um, yeah, maybe uh, for my sake and other listeners that, that don't know as much about Owen, um, a little more historical context. What, what years are we talking about that he lived and worked and taught? And Yeah, he was born 1616, died 1683. Uh, so he lived in really in the heat of what's sometimes referred to as the Puritan Revolution. So he lived um, in days of the Westminster Assembly. He lived um, in the days when Charles I was beheaded as king for uh, beheaded for treason. Uh, Owen was one of the ministers to preach to Parliament on the day after Charles I was beheaded. Um, in my dissertation, I argue that Owen may have been one of the first to actually call for um, the execution of the king before anyone else did, before anything was in print. He, he mentioned um, or hinted at it in a sermon to uh, the, the army. So an That's important bold. guy. Yeah. It's bold. And then when, when there's no king, then sort of there's a Puritan parliament in those days. This is the what's called the interregnum in the 1650s. It's where Oliver Cromwell is um, leading the, the country. And John Owen is really his right-hand religious man. Uh, people have called him uh, Cromwell's chaplain or even the architect of um, trying to come up with a Cromwellian state church system. Mm. Yeah. And, and then he's, you know, uh, he's on the other, he's on the losing side of things when you get to 1660 and following when uh, there's a restoration of the, the king, um, Charles II is put on the throne, and then he's no, he's no fan of Puritans, and so he makes it very hard for them. But, but Owen, though he remained a, a sort of underground pastor because preaching in those days was illegal, uh, apart from a, an ordinary ordination in the Anglican Church. Um, but Owen remained influential. He had meetings uh, with Charles II. He uh, he was sort of a mover and shaker behind the scenes for the Puritan cause uh, for the last, you know, two and a half decades of his life. That's cool. You mentioned your dissertation. So, you've, you wrote that on Owen and some of his work, or a lot of his work, uh, what originally drew you to Owen, and yeah, what has been specifically like so attractive about his writings for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so in seminary, um, I read uh, J.I. Packer's book, A Quest for Godliness, which is just a good survey of the Puritans and some of their writings. Um, loved it. What, what drew me to Puritan writing in general is... Um, their amazing melding of doctrine and devotion. Mm. So they had no problem going really deep in doctrine and remaining and remaining really passionate uh, while doing so. And uh, and that's, at least since then, it's been sort of a rare thing. It seems like the deeper things get, uh, the less passionate they become. Mm. Or if you want the passionate stuff, it's over here, and it's really not very doctrinal. Mm. So I was drawn to that, and... Um, and as I thought about, you know, uh, where and how to do doctoral studies and what specifically to do for my dissertation, I just started snooping around what maybe hadn't been done on John Owen. And eventually you, you move things around a little bit, you think of things a little bit differently throughout the course of a PhD, and uh, eventually you land on your specific topic. So when you, you know, as you got to know Owen... Uh, writing uh, your dissertation, what were what were some of the things that were just striking about Owen the man, mm. uh, his life, 
um, maybe his his love for the gospel and Christ, personal holiness, some of those things. Yeah, some of his best writings, um, and, and the ones that are maybe uh, sought after the most most widely today, um, came out of sermons that he gave to Oxford students when he was um, dean of. Christchurch College, and then also vice chancellor of the university. So it was his duty to give various sermons to the students, and um, and that's where we get what we now know as the mortification of sin, mm. um, the various works that you find in volume six, which, by the way, if someone wants to start reading Owen directly, just that would be, that would be a great place to start, yeah. to just buy volume six of his works, and there I think you'd have three different books in that that all relate to sin and temptation. So, uh, Owen the man, a passionate, godly, caring, um, sort of a a physician of souls. Um, He really was that. Um, He's a man who suffered greatly. I mean, not only the you know, for the Puritan cause that eventually didn't win out in the in the later half of the 17th century, but um, at home, um, I think he had 11 children and 10 of which did not make it out of childhood. Uh, the one child that did, um, she had an unfaithful husband and moved back home um, only to die, I think, in her late 20s or mm-hmm. maybe early 30s. Wow. He lost his wife at some point and married another. So he he knew suffering. Um, it's pretty remarkable when he's written hundreds of books, you know, thousands and thousands of pages, and um, we we have no mention of the loss of his children um, in any of those works. Uh, we know it from history; uh, it's in the biographies, and rightly so. Um, but he was a, a man who was guarded. Um, he 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 doesn't. Um, do autobiography so well, mm-hmm. uh, much to the chagrin of those who really would want to know more about Owen the man. Um, but it was a different era, and uh, and he was a different kind of man. Um, but uh, he seems to have weathered it well by God's grace, and never, you know, seems to betray a, a doubt in the Lord's faithfulness or kindness. There are a number of things that about Owen that are just attractive. One of those for me has been just his quest for personal holiness. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe uh, from your perspective, what influenced, what had the greatest influence? It just seems like whether it was his private life or his public life, and he was very public and he was in the marketplace, he was in politics, but the quest for personal holiness just seems to be this thread that's woven through all of his interactions. Yeah, I mentioned the works that came out of his uh, sermons at Oxford, but what also comes to mind is uh, the last book he wrote. Um, it's Meditations on the Glory of Christ. And uh, and if you read it knowing that it was his last work, um, that he basically was finishing it on his deathbed, um, you you feel the anticipation of a man who is looking forward to beholding his savior. Mm. Um, in fact, uh, there's the story of his publisher coming to see him on his deathbed and saying, "Good news, uh, Doctor Owen, um, your your book is headed to the the publisher. It's all done." And he said, "Oh well, thank you, Brother Payne, but uh, today I shall see 
a far greater glory as I see my Savior face <laughs> to face. Um, so he was a man who walked with the Lord. Um, he he really did want to be holy. He really did want to um, to commune with the Lord. Another important work he wrote, communion with God, mm. which teaches us how to commune with each member of the Trinity, mm. yeah. um, specifically yeah. and personally. Now back to the, your work on this uh, on this project. Um, in the section that you'll be editing, compiling, writing uh, for, um, what specifically uh, will that have to offer to the church at large? Who should be excited about reading this and getting this? Is this something for everybody? Is this a layperson kind of thing? Is this more academic? Is this for pastors? Uh, maybe speak to who, who you want the audience to, uh, to be uh, for the section that you'll be working on. Yeah, I don't want to be overly optimistic. Uh, I don't know what it'll cost, and I don't know exactly how many volumes it'll be in the Crossway edition that's okay. forthcoming. But it, it's a big commitment. You have to know that you want to read a lot of John Owen to, to buy a set like that. Yeah. So I get that. Um, but Owen's works in general should be more widely received and welcomed. Um, you know, it was just an elders meeting or two ago that... Um, we were discussing something on ecclesiology, and I said, it reminds me of this section on Owen. Can I just put it in so a PDF good. to you guys and send it to you? It's worth your time. He'll be a good conversation partner for us on this topic. Um, so, yeah, Owen is for theologians. Owen will be studied by future doctoral students, uh, so you need a, a technical official edition Um Owen should be used by um, lay people as well. So we shouldn't just think um, he is only for those who will buy a multi-volume um, edition of his works. Um, it, there are a couple of editions that I just would mention. Um, Justin Taylor and Kelly Capick have put out at least two um editions of Owen's works, one on communion with God, another one on sin and temptation. And they're just slightly modernized. Um, they're, uh, you know, they have those typical headings and subheadings like we're used to. Um, so it's not a, a total dumbing down of John Owen. It's not a total reduction of John Owen. And those can be found as well. But the works from uh, Taylor and Capic are really good at um, giving us Owen in the full, but Owen in the now, in a sense. And uh, and those are just paperbacks that someone could pick up for 11 or 12 bucks, and boy, that would be a, a great use of their time. And then there's a, another way in which someone might begin to engage the, the reading of John Owen, and the simplest level would be uh, Banner of Truth puts out these little, what they're called Puritan paperbacks. So they don't just take John Owen's works, but other Puritan works as well. And they distill them down to, oh, I don't know, a book that's maybe four by six in size in maybe 120 pages in length. And uh, and there you've got, you know, some Puritan gold um, that you can, you could read, you know, your your teenager can read it. Yeah. My only interaction with Owen has been Mortification of Sin, which you mentioned. And I, I went through an early, early edition of it a long, long time ago. And I had to go through it two or three times 
just to make sure I wasn't holding the book upside down or something. Because, I mean, I I was like, do I know how to read or, or, or what? Yeah. Because, I mean, some, some of his stuff is pretty thick. So you mentioned yeah. these Puritan paperbacks. Is there anything else that's even maybe even more accessible? Uh, what's the what's the on ramp to reading Owen and understanding Owen? Is is there one? Well, so if someone wanted to just spark interest and see where it goes from there, I mean, there's a children's book by Simonetta Carr, C A R R, um, which is wonderful and wonderfully illustrated. Mm-hmm. It's a very beautiful book. So, a children's bio story of Owen that'd be a great place to start. Um, John Piper, over the years, has done different biographical sketches from uh, characters in history. He has one on John Owen. You can find the audio recording at desiringgod.org. Um, find it in print there as well for free. That would be a great biographical introduction. Um, you know, I, I think if you listen to that, you would maybe begin to think, maybe I would want to read a little bit of John Owen because Piper's read some of John Owen. He seems really excited about <laughs> John Owen. That's good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, there's a website, johnowen.org, that's um, is a good on-ramp introduction to John Owen, some of his quotes, some of his writings. And if you're just looking to kind of get started, that's always a, a good place to start. Does he have a Twitter Handle that we can follow. No, he would not do well with Twitter. The 280 characters would not suit him well. Okay, so we, yeah, we should just come back to that, Drew. You said he's hard to read. He is, um, and he was famous for. I think they called it. He, he tended to clod along in his prose. So long sentences. He's got some logic up in his head that isn't isn't easily followed. Sometimes he was a really smart guy. Um, and, and so it'll feel foreign uh, to someone who is used to reading modern English and you pick up John Owen in the original and start reading him that way. But I also would say if you do it enough, you get used to it. Yeah. So one strategy is read it out loud. Mm-hmm. Another strategy is don't be afraid to reread a paragraph or a page at a time. It's okay to go slow. I don't know why we think that we need to plow through books like we do these days, but uh, Owen is someone who is worth um, some careful plotting and uh, getting more familiar with his prose so that you can more easily read them. That's good advice. Drew mentioned the mortification of sin. What are your personal, two or three of your personal favorite excerpts or pieces that Owen has written? Yeah, I think I've mentioned them. Um, mortification of, of sin um, would be one. It's very convicting, um, but yeah. very helpful on a strategy of fighting sin and various strategies for fighting sin or, you know, analyzing temptation in sin. How, how, what went wrong at this specific moment of facing temptation and giving into it? Um, very helpful there. And I mentioned already, you know, meditations on the glory of Christ, communion with God. Those are some of my favorites. I've gone back to them again and again. Um, and, and even though it's so thorough, um, we should say something about the fact that he wrote a seven-volume commentary on Hebrews. Mm. So if someone wanted to study Hebrews, uh, boy, you, you just if you want to study one verse of Hebrews— Owen will have maybe three pages on yeah. it. Um, so that kind of thorough analysis is really important. I think it's probably the second longest commentary in the English language that's been published. 
he is so exhaustive with anything he he tackles, isn't he? Yeah. As we kind of wrap this up, uh, back to your your time off. What does over the next couple of months? What does a typical day? What will a typical day? What will a typical week look like for you? Yeah, it, it'll be busy. So uh, you know, we already said that it's a, a working sabbatical. Um, and when I do something like this, it's an all-in kind of project. So um, I'll stay at home. I'll probably work for my study here at the church just because I have my resources here. And it's a, a quiet place. And people know when I'm working on a project like this that I'm kind of not available. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it'll mean long hours. Um, it, it's it's just, you know, um, ha- being given the freedom to do this. Um, means that I can, if I wake up at four and I can't sleep and I'm thinking about this, I'll get after it. Um, if, you know, after dinner, um, s- some thoughts are rolling around my head, well, Sarah and the kids are very generous and gracious for a, a project like this, and um, they support me giving my time to it. So um, it, it's a little bit like Howard Hughes, you know, at some point he went a little crazy and mm-hmm. started putting tissue boxes on his feet as slippers. Uh, I don't get that crazy, but I almost get that crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So besides praying that you don't use Kleenex boxes for <laughs> slippers, what are some ways that we can be praying for you over the next couple of months? Yeah, well, uh, getting the work done, uh, pray that it would, uh, you know, I've got a finite window to do this in, um, and I think it's enough time, but it may not be enough time. So I pray that it would be enough time. Um, I pray for efficiency and good health. There have been times when I've had a sabbatical like this before, and the first two weeks go really bad with a sickness or something that I didn't plan on. You can't plan on it. Um, So you can pray for good health. You can pray for my family. Um, I'll see them a little bit less in the next couple of months. Um, You can pray for Chase while Mm -hmm. he's preaching for us. Um, It's a a real pleasure to to go on a project like this and sort of disappear a little bit, um, knowing that the church is in good hands with a a good preacher um, over the next couple of months, especially as Chase takes us back to 2 Thessalonians. So pray for him, and um, yeah, just pray that the Lord be glorified and he would use it. Yeah, when do we expect this to be released? I think probably a year from the fall, so maybe fall of 2021. Awesome. So we can look for that from Crossway, right? Yeah. Yeah. The complete works of John Owen. Excellent. Well, Ryan, thanks so much, man. We'll be praying for you. Uh, we're thanks. thankful for you. We're thankful for this uh, this opportunity uh, for your writing yeah. uh, to be uh, dispersed. Scott, thanks for taking the time to help uh, help interact here. You've been listening to the Desert Springs Church podcast. If you have any questions about our church or the ministries here, you can reach us at dscabq.com or email us at info at dscabq.com. But that's all we have for today. On behalf of Ryan Kelly, Scott Minema, I'm Drew Hodge. Let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper.